we have an opportunity to cut costs, we should do it. Also, this doesn't affect quality or consistency. That's the, that's the key. What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give and Ovation. I am joined by Mark Kelnhofer for the second time. So excited to have you on. Only Bruce Irving the only one who's been on this podcast twice. But I had such a great time in our first podcast, uh, Mark, and I loved, the, um, I, I loved what we talked about and I wanted to really expand on that. So thanks for joining us again. For those of you who don't know Mark, he's a, a speaker, author, president, and CEO of Return on Ingredients, as well as the Restaurant Institute. He's got over 20 years in management and cost accounting. Um, he's lectured at more universities than I've ever stepped foot on, and he's a certified bourbon steward. Mark, thanks for joining us for a repeat. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here and uh, looking forward to it. So one of the things that we were talking about recently was the fact that even as restaurants are opening up again, they will never be at full capacity. And when I say never, I mean like, oh, for the next two years, which for us restaurateurs is like pretty much forever. Um, and so you're never going to be able to pack people in shoulder to shoulder again people are going to want to be a little bit more socially distanced. And so with that, basically what that means is that you have three options. One, open up new revenue channels. Two, increase your prices. Or three, reduce your costs. Uh, talk to us a little bit about those options. What have you seen? What are you recommending to your clients and restaurants? Right. So uh, one of the things that I've talked about, and you know already that I'm the guru on cost or management cost accounting. So, um, but I do know one thing is that price is not something you're going to be able to take a lot. I mean, it certainly is one way to respond. Can you take it multiple times? Probably not in this time, you know, especially when, you know, the unemployment rates there where they are and there are people, the disposable income not being there like it used to be either. So price may not actually be a very effective way to respond. So one of the things we need to look at is on our income statement, we have the ability to look at what's variable and what's fixed in terms of cost. And when I say variable and fixed, that means how the costs behave or how they act. And so when we're looking at the income statement, right away we know that ingredients is a variable cost. The more menu items we sell, the more costs we're going to incur. And labor is also one of those variable costs. And there's even a little piece of overhead that's variable. So uh, I talk about the restructuring of the income statement so that we have both the variable and fixed costs identified in different sections. And so towards up towards the top section, I normally would put all the variable costs, put my fixed costs towards the bottom, and fixed costs like depreciation, insurance, and rent, because those things are sometimes not negotiable. Maybe you might get lucky with a landlord to be able to negotiate the lease, but my experience has been so far up to this point 
many landlords are not renegotiating their lease down. And, uh, you know, so that's something that where we may not even have control over at all. So really all these variable costs, the variable costs are the ones we do have control over. So we can make some decisions about how we can reduce costs in those areas. And there's all kinds of ways to do that, but many operators really don't even know about all the different areas they have available to them to cut costs. And so I think it's so important that they understand, first of all, the income statement and then having it broken out in those sections. And that way it can give them a little tool then to react. It's all about how you react. So, um, you know, we've talked before on ingredients, being able to react in ways there. Maybe it's going out and getting some contracted pricing. Maybe it's finding an alternative ingredient. Maybe it's changing portion sizes. So there's all kinds of ways re we can react. But at the end of the day, it's all about driving profitability and cash. And, you know, at 50% capacity or reduced capacity, it is going to be so critical that the operators really become a lot more analytical about their business. As we talked before, you know, at 50% capacity, many, many operators may not be able to survive on that. And they're going to have to come up with a way to make some money under those circumstances because they may not improve a whole lot beyond what, like you said, a year or two down the road before we ever you know, see any light at the end of the tunnel potentially. So what are some of the biggest things that you've seen, some of the biggest factors that someone can go in there and, you know, some of the levers that they can uh, maneuver to help with profitability? Well, you know, the biggest thing that I always talk about is making sure on recipe costing that we know the cost of our product. And, and we talked about that the last podcast that, you know, the documentation of the recipes, the recipe costing, needs to be done. So many cases it's not bad. If you think about it, that's ultimately a tool we're going to use to identify where we can make these cuts. So the, the one thing I'm an advocate for is if we're going to make some changes to ingredients or changes to labor that we do so in a manner that doesn't reduce the quality or the consistency of the product. Right. So there are ways you can find comparable products, maybe at lower price points or cost points than what you have now. But the key is, is that the one thing we don't want to do is change the menu item to a point where the quality decreases. Because if you're keeping the price the same and decrease quality, you're going to affect that performance of the product. And, and so we, we want to be careful in what we do. And even more so, if you think about on the labor side, it, it's about maybe finding, potentially you find a vendor making a product for you that may be more consistent, better quality, where maybe you don't have to spend as much in internal labor as before. Um, the other thing is what I'm a big advocate for is creating performance benchmarks using um, gas counts or traffic along with these costs. So you could come up with labor costs per guest, right? You can come up with mm -hmm. overhead costs per guest. You can start looking at costs a little bit differently and being able to identify maybe opportunities to reduce costs. And believe it or not, as soon as you start benchmarking like that and comparing it from month to month to month, even or comparing it against a competitor, yeah, you know, all of a sudden some light bulbs go off or there's some potential to reduce some costs. So. 
So you were talking about actually reducing labor costs by changing menu items. Talk to us about a couple of examples that you've seen of that, uh, of that working out. Well, when you look at labor on a menu item, and again, unfortunately, as an industry, labor costs generally is not calculated on a recipe costing process, but it should be because at the end of the day, we're manufacturing some menu items and the work that we put into producing those items should be part of the cost of the product when we actually do it. So mm. when I do that process, I, I look at ingredients, I look at yields and waste and things like that. But when I get into the labor piece, I create standards. I put prep time on the recipe. I calculate the labor on it. And that way we know what that piece of cost is. And there's three, three pieces of cost. There's ingredients, there's labor, and there's overhead. And so labor is the second piece. And it's probably, at the moment, the highest piece, right? In terms of percent of sales, we're probably labor, we're very labor driven, right? So it's a, probably a large chunk of our costs. Well, that could be an area where we can look at and see if there's anything we can do to reduce that labor. Now, it could mean, like I said, we could find a vendor that go outside to do it for us, maybe at a rate cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. We could find some, a piece of equipment or automation that can help us reduce labor on it, but still have the productivity even at a higher point. So we need to get creative in terms of what we look at and the processes we do, see if there's anything we can do to cut costs. And one of the things I talk about in my book all the time, if we have an opportunity to cut costs, we should do it. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't affect quality or consistency. That's, the, that's key. And as soon as you change the menu item or change quality or change consistency of the product, you're really now affecting the overall operation. And you're, you're taking a big risk at ensuring that you still have the same vibes at, with that product. So that, that's really what, you know, in terms of reacting, that's something we should always be doing is looking at all three components of costs. We're not gonna be able to cut costs in all spaces immediately, but over time, we should look at all, the, all three components of costs to have an impact on long-term. And, and how does this play into the delivery game? I mean, right now, everything is, is off-premise. Do you find that menus are shifting or changing, ingredients are changing, going off-premise, um, or is it, is it mainly just a repackaging of the same stuff? Well, I, I, think, I think they have to be careful to do every game because not all ingredients travel well, one. And we want to make sure that when that menu item is ultimately delivered to the guests, that it's in, it's in a high quality state. We don't want the, the quality of the product to deteriorate while it's in transport and then eventually get it to the guests and then are not happy with it. So we got to make sure that the ingredients are, are something that can, can withstand being transported like that and stay heated, for example, hot. And that also goes to speak to the, uh, the packaging piece. In the, uh, in the recent edition of Food, Beverage, and Labor Cost Control Quarterly, we had an article in there related very specifically to the packaging of the products that we have because of all the increase in delivery. And so it has, has a huge impact in making sure we're, we're using the ingredients that travel well, proper to-go packaging, which could mean additional costs, right, that maybe they didn't have before. Yeah. Um, 
and, and then um, and then the other thing to keep in the back of your mind is these places uh, charge in some cases quite a bit, you know, in terms of delivery services. Oh, to actually get it out the door, yeah, totally. From to get yeah, from your door to their door, or Grubhub or anything, mm-hmm. these percentages can be quite hefty. And so, you know, if you did your analysis of the menu item and actually really truly looked at the percentage percentages they are charging, in many cases you can't make money on those percentages. Uh, you know, sometimes those fees are twenty percent or greater. And I go back to again the three components of cost. If you look at a P and L, and you're only making five percent, let's say as an example, on the bottom line, can you withstand a twenty percent charge? And yeah. you know, the answer is really no. You know, so I think a lot of people, what they're doing more so probably is is the curbside where people are coming in to pick it up or they're walking in to pick it up. It's staged, you know, where they, they can actually have access to the restaurant and they're picking it up that way. I've seen a lot of uh, models recently where that's, that's it, right? Where app-driven product, the restaurant may not have anybody in there, but they have it all staged for delivery and pickup. Totally. And, and you're absolutely right. Is that the, there's packaging costs now. Uh, there's stickers, there's bags. You can't use, for example, like, you know, plastic to go boxes. Um, they don't, they don't work very well. I mean, everyone that I've talked to who has used plastic to go boxes is trying to transition to a more sustainable um, environmentally and a more breathable type of packaging because burger that sits in there for 20 minutes before it gets to you. Well, I mean, you, you, you got burger soup, right? Uh, French fries, they become more like mashed potatoes. I mean, like you just can't, you have to think about, um, and I like how you were kind of getting to this. You have to think about the end experience, regardless of if it's in the four walls, in their house, at a party, and you have to work backwards. And how do we create a great experience? And it's no longer a one dimensional you know, restaurant anymore, but you have to have four or five different channels that you're getting to the customer and whatever that channel is starting with the end in mind and working backwards to the process and to the labor ingredients and overhead um, in order to cost that effectively. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, as an example of this, you know, which I, I really like this, this model, have you ever heard of a company called Balance Pan Asian? No. Okay. So they're, they're based out of Toledo, Ohio. They have a very small footprint of a restaurant. And when I went there as a, as a guest once, I went in there and maybe 10 people were sitting down. But if you look at the, the display shelf and everything, they had bag after bag after bag after bag after bag. This is before COVID. And so they had down to the science, they had people ordering the product before COVID on their app. They staged the pickup product already in a certain spot. People were just walking in, grabbing an order, walking out. So they were almost, before COVID even hit, they were already ready for all this because they've already got the got that component down to the science. And tell me the name of that restaurant again. Ba- Bounce, B-A-L-A-N-C-E, Bounce Pan-Asian. Okay, wow. It's really a pretty neat concept. I mean, they have very limited footprint and tables actually at their restaurant. 
And, you know, a lot of the sales comes right off the app for, for to go. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that there's so many fascinating things that as you look at what's going on in the industry today, um, I think that you're absolutely right. I, I loved how you said that though, Mark, it's, it's really about finding ways to reduce costs. That's going to be your biggest driver of profitability. And when we're talking single digit margins, paying double digit percentage in commission, you have to reduce costs. We have to get more analytical about it. Um, so with that all being said, what, what Mark, what would be your last piece of advice to, uh, to our restaurant yeah, listeners? Talk a little bit before this is that the, we know, well, we both know and everybody else knows is that this outside dining component that, you know, restaurants have now, which actually helps with the volume. You know, it's a great, great idea and it helps. But as soon as cold weather gets in, if you're in a state that has colder weather, that, that, those seats and that volume are not going to be gone. So the one thing that, that we need to be constantly looking at is taking a look at our cost structure on a continuous basis because these volumes are not going to be consistently high and they could be shifting up or down. Anytime we have a significant shift up or down, we need to go back and look at how our costs are structured again to make sure that we're still making the money we need to make. And unfortunately, we, we want to say we, the industry, we don't really look at cost structure a whole lot. And this is going to, you know, this is really going to help us in terms of the pandemic. This is helping us hopefully get a little bit more discipline on cost identification, cost management, the decisions on how to reduce costs. So I think at the end of the day, we have to improve what we're doing as a business. And it is a business. It's not a hobby. I mean, if you're in it for the hobby, you're in a, a rough business for a hobby. <laughs> Cook right. for your family if you want to do this for a hobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's already tough enough the way it is, but now we're saying you really need to lock out every penny that we got. And we need to make some decisions on, on better control and better identification of costs. To me, that's, that's what I'm all about. That's what I do. And I think it's in times like this, that this is where I come in and I, I can really have an impact in many places. Awesome. So here are my key takeaways. Number one, drive profitability by being analytical. Look at your income, both variable and uh, look at your income statement, variable and fixed. Kind of take it from the variable on the top down to fixed. You're going to find the biggest bang for your buck in looking at those variable costs. Uh, number two, um, look at recipe costing. We talked about this last time. You talk about it again today because the labor ingredients and overhead um, that Look, look at what does each item cost? How do, you, how do you cost that out? Start doing that. Include the packaging on that. Number three, find ways to reduce labor with each menu item, either through technology, through different ingredients, through different processes. There's a way to reduce the labor on that. Don't just look at labor as a fixed cost that you're stuck with. Four, start with quality and work backwards. Uh, when you're looking at delivery, cost cutting, packaging, Start with the, the experience of the customer and, and the quality of the food. And then lastly, look at cost structure on an ongoing basis. It's not a one and done thing. Mark, have enjoyed you uh, on this podcast again so much. How do people find you, follow you, get your book? Yes, yeah, so uh, my company's Return on Ingredients. And so it's returnoningredients.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter, which is at ROIingredients.com. 
Uh, and then we also have on Amazon return on agreement ingredients look this is the second edition you see up here we're hoping to have the third edition out in spring so we're working on the next volume of, of this and then we also have a publication called food beverage and labor cost control quarterly and that's a free publication anybody who subscribes they can go to fblmag.com Okay, awesome. Well, Mark, for helping us all understand a little bit more about costs, uh, appreciate you. And today's ovation goes to you, my man. So thanks for coming on, Mark. Thanks, Mark. All right, bye-bye. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.